Genesis 50, verses 15 to 21. Realising that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all of the wrong that we did to him? So they approached Joseph, saying, Your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of all your brothers and the wrong that they did in harming you. Now therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, We are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good, in order to persevere a numerous, sorry, preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you all for joining with us. Uh, it's great to celebrate the, the new life and babies. And uh, I'm just thankful that we were able to get there with Alyssa. I wasn't sure if she was going to crack it and cry, but we got there. I had the little, little uh, hint from Liam, just pat, pat you, pat a bum, pat a bum. So we got there. Thanks, mate. Thanks for that. Uh, we have been in a series talking about what it means to know God, to know God, which is, uh, and it's such an important quest for us as Christians, and particularly in this time of Lent, we're learning and uh, thinking about repentance and how we actually come to God in repentance, and we learn what it means to know Him, and tonight we're going to continue to explore what this looks like. Now, in um, December 2019, uh, well-known author J.K. Rowling sent a tweet uh, that reverberated around the world. Uh, she'd been observing the phenomena growing where women uh, were being ousted and cancelled because of the fear and worry about blurring lines of gender. And so she tweeted to stand with another woman uh, who she feels was not treated in the right way. And from there, a social, uh, social media starts a rampage of cancelling her. People start burning Harry Potter books removing Harry Potter tattoos, associating anything that Rowling has done to the sheer essence of evil. If Rowling is evil, that, so everything she has done is evil. And I'm listening to a, a recent podcast series of a journalist who was interviewing her, exploring how this all came to be. And I'm not going to comment on whether the, the, what she stands for is right or wrong, but she observed that this cancel culture that is so apparent in the culture around us, uh, is actually, for her, she observes it as more oppressive and an authoritative regime than, uh, than the liberty that they are actually speaking up for. She sees what they're doing as more oppressive than what she believes they want and desire. And so when people are standing and speaking for equality or inclusion... On the other side, they can often cancel and reject and completely ignore others who don't hold the same view as them. Instead of creating spaces of dialogue and conversation, we as a culture are holding on to what we think is right and reject anything that doesn't align with it. 
And so this is kind of a, a kind of a landscape of where culture is at at times. This this sense of cancel culture that if that, something doesn't align with what I agree with, then we cancel it. And so, yes, we need to learn what it means to have conversations. We need to learn how to talk with people who we don't agree with and have a healthy conversation. Yes, we need to consider all sides and the emotions and feelings of others. But I think a big reason for this cancel culture, the big reason why it's growing in around us, is because forgiveness is fading. Forgiveness is fading in the world around us. We don't know what it means to forgive. We don't know what that looks like, and we get confused of what, what, what to do when we're asked to forgive. Timothy Keller, now a retired pastor, uh, once he commented that when he was counselling couples with troubled marriages, he discovered that those who learned and embraced forgiveness usually survived, and those who did not never did. And so without forgiveness... No human relationships or communities can be sustained. Without forgiveness, centuries-long cycles of retaliation and violence and genocide repeat themselves. There are studies even done in America by uh, the College of Cardiology about how anger and hostility increase your likelihood of of, uh, heart diseases and attacks. And so without forgiveness, your body is subject to more damage and depression. Summed up by Timothy Keller, he says, to fail to forgive is to undermine the health and coherence of one's body, one's relationships, and the entire human community. And so we need more forgiveness in our world. And so what a beautiful night to talk about forgiveness. You may have come just to watch a nice dedication. And uh, I think it's so, you know, it's so important and necessary for us as families to learn what it means to forgive one another. Because this is the, actu- the time that we need to learn forgiveness is often in our families when things can grow strain. And so our world needs people who can learn what it means to forgive. And so as we learn what it means to know God, we're looking at this subject of repentance. We've been exploring a passage of Scripture in Exodus 34, a Scripture where Uh, God himself presents himself to Moses and declares certain statements about himself, of who he is. He says in in, uh, Exodus 34, The Lord, the Lord, a God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. We've been uh, kind of addressing and looking at those characteristics the last few services uh, we've been learning about what, who God is, this God that we serve. But tonight we're going to look at verse 7. It says, Keeping steadfast love for the thousandth, thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and trans- transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty. We're learning about a God who forgives. And for many that could be an oxymoron, isn't you know, the God of the Old Testament, this angry, judgmental, unforgiving God. But rather, this is not how the people of Israel saw God, the people who were close and knew God. These people saw him as forgiving of compassion and and grace, a God who actually forgave the sins and trespasses of the people. Now, if we look at this, this word of forgive, forgiving, uh, this has come from the Hebrew word nasar, 
which it can mean also to carry, to lift up, and to bear the weight. This word nasar is often actually used throughout the Old Testament, even just to carry objects from one place to another, that it would be to nasar it, to carry it. When someone took responsibility for somebody else, bearing their problems, they would nasar, they would bear the problems of others. Even when just someone lifted their hands, that, they would nasar, they would lift their hands. And so when someone does wrong against another, something that, you know, they didn't, don't deserve grace or mercy, but they are shown favour, this is to nasar, to bear the weight upon themselves. Now, a good way to, to remember this Hebrew word uh, is, you know, think of the word nasa. It's like being lifted up into space. This is the word nasa, is to lift up and to bear, to carry the weight. And so, uh, yeah, th- uh, this is what forgiveness is. It's to carry weight that you don't need to and you shouldn't need to actually carry, but you're bearing the weight on somebody else's because they have done something wrong to you, and so you choose to actually carry that weight that they feel and bear that weight for them. And so this is how the people saw God. He was a God who forgives their sins. He bears the weight of our wrongdoing on himself. He carries it for us, the weight of our our sin, guilt, our shame, our trauma. He puts uh, all those things that we do, those sin, our guilt and shame, it puts pressure on us. It pushes against us. We kind of feel the weight of our wrongdoing at times. But what God does is God lifts us up. He then bears that weight for us in his forgiveness. He takes it in himself. But the verse continues there. Yes, God forgives our sins and and trespasses, but the verse continues and says, by no means does he clear the guilty. This shows God as a God of forgiveness and love, but it also shows he's a God who is just. And this is a real tension within us as people. How can I forgive where there needs to be justice done? Isn't forgiving just letting people go and letting them walk all over you, letting them do whatever they want, letting bad people just get away with anything? Isn't that that forgiveness? There's these tensions that we feel with with forgiveness and justice. We want justice done, but we also are called to forgive as Christ has called us to. These two tensions we hold in our thoughts, in the way that we approach forgiveness. And so let's look at the uh, story of Joseph as we've read a a passage here at the beginning. Joseph was one of 12 sons, uh, uh, sons of Jacob. He was the youngest and most favoured son. Jacob loved Joseph the most. He made him this this multicoloured robe. Uh, He was special and he loved Joseph. And not only this, but uh, Joseph also had dreams, dreams uh, that he would rule over his brothers, that he would rule over his parents. And so as any good youngest child does, he, he flaunts it over his brothers. He tells them how good he is. He says, you know, wears his robe proudly. He says that you're going to bow down to me. And so his brothers hated him. His brothers despised him and they wanted to kill him. 
And so the opportunity came. Joseph came to his brothers out in the field, and uh, his brothers thought, let's get rid of this guy, uh, this dreamer. He'll be gone. And so they had this plan to, to kill him, and then last minute they changed their, their mind, and they sold him out to be a slave in Egypt. And so off he goes into Egypt. Uh, he's a slave, and he um, gets wrongly accused of rape. He gets put into prison gets put into a place where he doesn't deserve to be there. But yet, this is a true injustice done for Joseph. He's here in prison, hasn't done anything wrong, but here he is, all alone, abandoned, forgotten. But yet, there's a moment when Pharaoh has a dream, and this dreamer himself realizes that he, he's, there's something about dreams that he is able to help. And so with God's help, with God's wisdom and providence, he's able to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And he's eventually elevated to the status of the second in charge over all of Egypt. He's overseeing the labor task and preparing the nation for a coming drought. And so God used the terrible situation for Joseph to bring uh, some healing and providence to Egypt and to all around. Through the wisdom of God, he was able to prepare a nation to have plenty for others in a time of coming drought. And so this drought comes, and Egypt is hit, and so are the surrounding lands, including the land of which Jacob and his sons uh, lived. And so his sons get sent to Egypt looking for grain, and it was Joseph who was able to provide. And eventually Joseph reunites with Jacob and his brothers and they come to live with Joseph in Egypt. And so J Jacob himself lived in Egypt with all his sons in this beautiful, bountiful kind of uh, time for 17 years. Uh, Joseph's providing for them and then eventually Jacob dies. And then even though they lived these 17 years all together as a family, Joseph providing, being reunited, his brothers still feared Joseph. His brothers still thought that Joseph would have resentment towards him. They feared that now that their father had died, that he was going to respond with vengeance, with anger. And so they approached Joseph, and we read it, we read it, again, read it again in verse 16. Your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive, carry the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. And what was Joseph's response? Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He was so hurt that all these time, these years of being reunited, being together, they still feared the judgment. They still didn't see themselves as forgiven. And Joseph responds in this profound way and with this profound view of God. He said, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. Firstly, we notice the position that Joseph takes. Am I in the place of God? 
when taking vengeance, when taking something against somebody else, we assume the place of God. In this cancel culture, we assume to know what is right and take it out on other people. And then becomes this, this most profound idea, an idea that actually encapsulates much of the story of Genesis. Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. And so Joseph bears the weight of his brothers, not because of his goodness, but because of God's. And so we are able, we are able to forgive, not because we're holier, because we're somehow better people, but because we have been forgiven ourselves. Because God has forgiven us. We have the strength and ability to to forgive others. We trust the generosity and the goodness of God, that he is bountiful in what he gives, rather than the work of our vindictive payback to get what we want. Trusting the generosity of God is what it means to actually live and be able to forgive others. And so again, how? How does this story answer the question of forgiveness versus justice? Well, in this story, when the sons initially report back to their father that Joseph, they, they told uh, Jacob that Joseph had died, Jacob was utterly destroyed. He was devastated. He goes into this deep depression that his son had died, his favorite son died. And so his sons, his other sons, felt the weight and carried the pressure of this on themselves, on their lives, that the guilt and shame that they would have carried for years because of their actions had been placed upon their father, they felt and carried that pressure on themselves. Then when the drought comes and they go to Egypt, Joseph, who had not revealed his identity to his brothers, He tests them to see if they've actually changed. Has something changed in them? Has there been a sense of justice been done in the way that they think and act? And he asked them to bring their new youngest son, Benjamin, a son that their father had also come to love in place of Joseph. And through a series of tests, Joseph eventually says he's going to throw Benjamin into prison. But... Another one of the sons, Judah, he speaks up. He says, you can't do this. Take me instead of my brother, Benjamin. For if if Benjamin does not go to my father, he will not survive. He will be lost. He will not survive this pain. And so Judah sacrifices himself in place of his brother. Instead of throwing this son away like they did to Joseph, He gives his life. He offers his life in his place. And it was in that moment that Joseph broke down and he sees the change of heart. He sees the repentance that is at play in Judah. And he acts in forgiveness. He acts with love towards his brothers. And it's then that he actually restores and reunites together with his brothers. There's a great book that um, Timothy Keller has kind of just recently written last year uh, titled Forgive. 
Why should I and how can I? And so if, if you want more information about forgiveness, this is a great place to start. Uh, and he says this, he says that forgiveness is not the opposite of seeking true justice. It is, among many other things, it's precondition. He, he argues that if you truly want to seek justice, you must first forgive. If you are seeking justice before forgiveness, it's not actually justice you seek, but rather vengeance. If you don't have forgiveness in the light, in the view of seeking justice, what you're actually seeking is vengeance. To, to forgive someone doesn't mean necessarily you're always going to feel it. You're going to have this, this great sense of overwhelming, yes, I love them and you know, trust them. Forgiveness is actually something that we do. We grant forgiveness to someone. We give them as an event. I grant forgiveness to you. And then it's also a process. Forgiveness is also a part of something that we walk out. It's also, you know, at one level, something that we, we say in a moment to forgive, but it's also something we journey through. There is a process to freedom in forgiveness. But the first step is actually for us to, to declare and grant forgiveness for one another. It's a promise. Forgiveness is a promise before God not to take revenge on a wrongdoer for his or her sin against you. You choose not to take revenge, but to actually seek out true justice. And so some practical elements that kind of Timothy Keller outlines in ways that we can think about uh, walking into forgiveness. He says th this is what you should do. You should promise, firstly, to not to constantly bring the sin, sin up to the wrongdoer. That we can desire to shame and punish them, but forgiveness means that you don't keep reminding them of what they have done wrong. Just that nagging, yes, remember that when you did that. Forgiveness means we don't constantly bring that up. Secondly, we, we don't constantly bring up the sin to other people. And desiring to hurt the wrongdoer's reputation and relationship with others, but forgiveness means that you don't keep gossiping, don't keep slandering them, but you actually just choose not to comment, choose not to speak badly of them, even if you don't want to say something good about that person, just choose not to speak, to not constantly bring up their sin to other people. And then thirdly, forgiveness means to not constantly bring the sin up to yourself. Not to keep that anger hot. Not to keep replaying the video of it in your mind. To cherish that feeling of, of nobility and virtue that comes from having been treated unjustly. But forgiveness is the process and journey of dealing with the anger of bringing it to trusted friends or people or counsellors to actually bring that anger and hurt and let it be a part of something that you deal with. This part of the process is, is a journey. It's something that we need to walk out. It could take years, but it's, it's having a, a position, a statement to say, I'm not going to let that impact my, how I think. I want to move towards forgiveness and move towards healing. So not constantly bring the sin up to yourself. So on the flip side, if we're seeking vengeance, it's always excessive. It's always over and above. 
We want more harm done to the person who has caused us harm. That's why they had a, you know, the famous saying, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That saying was there because when you sought vengeance, you wanted more than what they'd done wrong to you. You want more than just an eye for an eye. You want an eye for their head. This is what is often seen in, in cancel culture, in this world around, around us. If you have wronged me, I want more than you just to be kind of wronged back. But I want you removed from existence. I want all that you have done. The, the, it's pure evil. I want an eye for an head. This is what we see so often around us. We seek this vengeance rather than actually forgiveness and working it out with each other. Now, to forgive someone who wronged you does not mean you immediately trust them. doesn't mean that you know, they, they can just walk back in and do the same thing. Trust has to be re-earned. As it says in the scripture, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty. To forgive is to reject vengeance or payback for the wrong, but it's not to act as if the wrong never happened. If the wrongdoer hasn't repented, then you shouldn't just make it easy for them to sin against you again and again. In fact, that's, that's never loving to actually do that and allow someone to keep sinning. But what it means to love someone else is to actually confront their wrong and to say that's not okay, that's not the way that you should live, but not do it from a place of vengeance, but a place of forgiveness and love. We must be open to keep rebuilding trust slowly. If the wrongdoer truly shows what it looks like to have genuine repentance. And so let's look, 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 let's look at Jesus, how he saw it. In Matthew 5, verse 38, it says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat and give you a cloak as well, and if anyone forces you to go on one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? And so be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Nice. As hard as it is, that, that is Christ's call for us as Christians to actually keep learning what it means to forgive and love one another in a radical way. And this is how I believe God wants to actually bring repair and restore, restore things in families that are broken. In our own lives, God wants to restore things that are broken through a heart of repentance, through us actually humbly coming before each other and submitting to each other. 
wanting to hear each other out, actually having proper conversation and acting in forgiveness. Now, I'm not you know, expecting everyone to go away tonight and just be ready to forgive everyone that has ever harmed them. This is a journey and something that we actually need to lean into and to grapple with and go, God, I want to learn and grow in what it means to forgive. I need the transformation of you, God, you Holy Spirit, and who I am in, in my in who I am in my relationships and in the world around me to keep fueling how I live and how I love others. Again, we're, we are able to forgive not because we're holier, we're better people. We can forgive because we have a God who forgives us. We trust the generosity and goodness of God rather than the work, work out of vindictive payback to get what we want. We can forgive truly and deeply because just like Benjamin, we have one who gave his life for us and sacrificed everything, cleansing the wrongs that we have done. We can forgive because all the terrible things that we've done to others has been forgiven by God. And Jesus, God in flesh, gave his life, emptying his all because he saw that as, as the only way to bear and carry the weight of our sins. And by doing so, he lifts us up to a new way of living a way that we are marked with forgiveness. And so may we see Christ in our efforts to forgive. May we bring our our anger, our hurt to our God and may his life and his spirit carry us and bear us. There is forgiveness and love for us all. This is good news. So we're going to come to a time of communion, communion in a moment. Um, before we do, we're going to also read through uh, our prayer of confession and have a moment of silence. Uh, can I also just remind us that as we partake, we can you know, come and receive. This is such an important, powerful moment for us as Christians to partake of his body and blood and receive the life of his spirit. And so uh, all of those who follow Jesus, are welcome to come and receive. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, uh, you're welcome to stay where you are. You're also welcome to come up uh, and you cross your arms to receive a prayer of blessing from Father Steve. Um, Yeah. Let me pray as we come to this moment. Just a prayer from the good old book of Common Prayer. O God, the Father of all, whose Son commanded us to love our enemies, Lead them and us from prejudice to truth. Deliver them and us from hatred, cruelty, and revenge. And in your good time, enable us all to stand reconciled before you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.